So we've been looking at this uh, question, if God is for us, who can be against us? What a wonderful uh, rhetorical question that is. Uh, God is for us. And as I pointed out uh, in the last uh, several couple of broadcasts, uh, this is a, a remarkable statement because Paul has been talking about all that Christ has done for us in chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 of Romans. And then he concludes from that that it is God who is for us because all that Christ has done has been at the direction of his Father. It is not an issue of God. Jesus loves us, but God is the judge and Jesus has to convince the judge. That is not a biblical doctrine at all. It is that God, in his love and his judgment, placing that judgment upon himself, decided for us in Christ. And Jesus, in love with his Father, was so willing to take this um, burden of humanity upon himself, to take the judgment for man's sins, and to rise from the dead on behalf of mankind, all at the will of the Father. So that is why Paul says, if God is for us. And you remember also that I was uh, giving you a reference in Ezekiel, I think it's 36 verse 9, um, where where Ezekiel tells us that God said, I am for you referring to Israel and of course through Israel to the through Christ to the whole world but now comes the question who can be against us there are so many people who christians who say well i know god is for me but the world is against me or my family is against me or or everything uh, that uh, i do is against me and this kind of response suggests to us, and by the way, and my health is against me, or my finances are against me. This kind of comment suggests that that person hasn't understood how great and manifold God's ways are in regard to what he's able to do in the world. Because if God is for us, then he is able to make everything that seems to be against us turn into our favor. How does he do that? It's about God's providence, you see. And although I can't go into great detail, um, I want to encourage you to read the book, uh, the uh, story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. You remember that young lad of 17, loved by his dad, but envied by his half-brothers, was kidnapped by them. And uh, he was terrified by that experience, of course. And uh, then uh, uh, along came the Midianites, and they took him out of, uh, or rather the brothers uh, sold him, took him out of the pit that they'd put him in, and sold him to those Midianites who carted him off to Egypt. There he was sold on a slave market, of all things. A free, young, carefree boy uh, in his father's home, suddenly a slave, and sold as a slave. But uh, he was bought by Potiphar's house, one of the cabinet ministers of the pharaoh, and uh, uh, he did so well that uh, uh, Potiphar was impressed by him and put him in charge of his whole household. But then Potiphar's wife uh, began to make a false charge against him of rape, attempted rape, 
and uh, he was thrown into the dungeon. Now, can you imagine the, the horror and the fear that this young boy had in regard to everything that was going on, a foreign lo- language, slavery, no longer free, falsely charged with rape, possibly on the verge of execution, all kinds of things coming up in his head. Uh, and then, uh, so he was thrown into that dungeon, The governor of the prison was impressed by him also and put him in charge. And then came the dreams of those two men who were uh, from Potiphar's, from uh, Pharaoh's household. And uh, Joseph interpreted those dreams. But uh, when he asked uh, one of the uh, guys to remember him, the chief baker, chief butler rather, uh, before Pharaoh to get him out of that hole, he forgot. And for two more years he languished in that prison. And then the pharaoh had dreams, and then the butler remembered, oh yes, I forgot all about that Joseph who can interpret dreams. And so he was brought before pharaoh and explained the dreams to pharaoh. Pharaoh put him in charge of the whole of Egypt to gather the grain for seven years to keep it safe uh, during the famine years. And uh, thus the whole of Israel was saved, of rather of uh, Egypt was saved, and so was his family because they came to get grain and were finally um, moved to Egypt to be with Joseph. Now you see, what we have there is a story of human relationships. We also have a story of, of uh, Joseph's faithfulness, but there's something much more than that. In, in, in Genesis 45, verses 5, 7, and 8, and chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph said to his brothers, Don't be afraid. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God, for the saving of many lives. And that statement and that idea is repeated four times in those verses for emphasis. So the story is not really about Joseph, nor is it really about his brothers. It's about God's providence. Surely it was the brothers who sent him there. That's the whole story, isn't it? Well, yes, but no. Because above the story of those brothers is God acting in his sovereignty, and he is moving in and interacting with Satan's and and, uh, the evil of human action, and he is transforming the effect of everything that Satan and evil men do. He can't. He doesn't transform evil. He will eliminate that at the end of time. But he transforms its effects and brings it out for good. God entangles himself, you see, with the affairs of the world, with your affairs. When you're having a hard time, when you're in an addiction, when, you are, um, when you've lost your job, when your health is shot, God is entangling his grace with all those negative experiences and bringing truth and love and mercy and care and support out of them so that you discover the greatness and tenderness of God in all your negative experiences. This is what it means when Paul is saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing can be against us. You see, the problem is that our God, or that belief in our God, is too small. Our God is great. There is nothing that he cannot handle. Now, of course, that's a truth that the mind receives in a sort of 
very conflicting way because the mind logically doesn't think this way. The mind says, well, no, this is against me, so how can it be for me? And uh, what we want at that point is to believe by faith that God is operating in the invisible, in the kingdom of grace. So, you see, our faith must operate counterintuitively to our mind. Our mind says, no, this is happening and it's bad and therefore bad will result and, oh, I'm lost and what's going to happen to me? Faith enters, which is counterintuitive to the mind, and says, by faith I know, and, and speaks directly to the Father, of course, or to Jesus. Jesus, Father, I know that you are in this. And I praise you that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, I just said, uh, quoted you a verse that Paul had spoken about or used earlier, uh, Romans 8, verse 28. You see, that's the foundation for this truth. We know that all things work together for good. They work together. They conspire together. They lock in together. They um, entangle together with God's grace so that since God is for us, nothing can be against us. Now, I remember years ago when I first believed this truth. It was a wonderful thing. I read a little book um, which was not the sole uh, uh, answer to this question uh, for me, but added to what I already had learned in the Book of Romans when I was in uh, university. But the message of this little book was, well, the little book was called Power in Praise. You might want to look it up and get a hold of a copy. It's a small book. It won't take you long to read it. Merlin Carruthers is the author, Power in Praise. And he taught how to learn to respond to trouble by giving thanks instead of getting into panic. You see, it says in first in uh, Ephesians 5.18 and 1 Thessalonians 5.20, no, I think it's the other way around, Ephesians 5.20 and 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks every day for everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Well, that's quite a story, isn't it? To start giving thanks... I mean, you say, yeah, but I don't feel like giving thanks. Colin, when things go wrong, there's no, that's the last thing on my mind to give thanks. I know, but I just said to you earlier that faith is counterintuitive to the mind. In other words, it's contrary to the mind. The mind says, oh, heck, here we go again, another problem, etc. But then you pause and you say, Father, I hear your spirit talking to me. And you are encouraging me to lift up my heart and to give thanks to you for this trouble. Because as I give thanks to you, I train my faith. And as I, as I give thanks to you, I see the invisible. I see you at work. And Lord, this thanks that I'm giving doesn't come from my emotions because I sure don't feel like giving thanks to you. It comes from my faith, dear Father, that supersedes my emotions, that that overwrites them, and that speaks to you, knowing that you are for me. You see how wonderful this becomes. And let me tell you this. It begins to bring health to your mind. Faith 
truth, Scripture, bring ultimately health to your mind. If you understand Scripture, that is. Of course, if you look at Scripture from your broken mind, from your guilty mind, from your fearful mind, then you will just gather up all the condemnations and judgments and pile them on top of yourself. That's not going to give you mental health. But if you understand Scripture and understand how judgments are all in your favor because God still loves you, remember what Ezekiel said, I am for, that God said, I am for you, O Israel. 36 verse 9, I think it is. Even though he had just brought judgments upon them, he is still for them. That's what you and I understand. That's what you and I learn by faith and express by faith. Lord, this, I feel this is a judgment upon me, but I'm not going to accept condemnation, dear Lord, because I know you are for me. This judgment is a discipline. It's a training. It's directing me in this way instead of that. But I know you're not against me, dear Lord. Do you see how it works? So then, Enlarge your faith in regard to this verse. If God is for us, who can be against us? God reigns over all, even the negative stuff, to bring blessing and good out of it so that you and I may trust him always and for eternity. Thanks for listening today, everyone. Colin Cook here, and How It Happens, that's the name of this program, which you can hear Monday through Friday, and that's at 10 o'clock in the evening, repeated at 4 in the morning, on KLTT in the Denver and surrounding states areas. KLTT AM670, the call letters and numbers, AM670, at 10, as I said, in the evening and 4 in the morning. Although you can also hear this program anytime on your smartphone, simply download a free app, soundcloud.com or podbean.com and key in how it happens with Colin Cook when you get there. Please consider a donation. It helps the ministry to keep going in the radio broadcast now in its 26th year. You can make your donation online at faithquestradio.com. That's faithquestradio.com or send your donation to FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado 80160. Thanks. See you next time. Cheerio and God bless.